Yeah, that's a gift. Is it well with your soul? Well, if you know our Lord and Savior Jesus, it should be. If you've given your life to Him, He's given His life for you. He loves you very much. All of you. Even me. I say humbly. Right? As honorary as you can be, Jesus loves you and he died for you too. Turn with me to the Revelation, to John chapter 1. You know, we started last week and I gave you quite a broad overview of it, but this is a letter specifically written to the seven churches in Asia. So we need to keep that in mind. It's the seven churches, but next week we'll get into the churches and what those represent and the three different areas and whether or not it really applies to you and me because honestly... Those seven churches don't, don't exist today. Those, those churches that are mentioned don't exist. One, I'm certain that the words that are written apply to us. Apply to the church and apply to us individually as well. We'll, we'll look at that, but I, I want you to have a very great sense of the hope today that is in Jesus. I know we read the entire chapter, chapter one last week, but I want to pull out some different things. I stopped just shy of uh, verse eight there. And I want to start with verse eight. And hear what the Lord says. He says, I am the alpha and the omega. Says the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come, the almighty. Hallelujah. Listen, these are true words that should reign in your minds. They should reign in your, your heart. And as I preach them to you, as I speak them to you, they're not me. This is the Lord God. This is His Holy Spirit penetrating you right now. He is telling you, I am God. I am the beginning and the end. In the Greek alphabet, it's beginning alpha, and at the end is omega. There is no more before it and no more after it. The alpha and the omega. He defines and frames for us all of eternity. Nothing exists outside of those parameters. Everything exists within those boundaries. And here's some good news. Not only did he create the boundaries, he is the boundary. We live by Jesus. No breath we take is without his every command, without his Blessing without his permission. If at any time God unveiled his wrath that we are deserving of as a human race, the human race would cease to exist. We forget the holiness and the divinity of the one in whom we serve. So John makes it very clear to us through his messenger. He says, I, I, Jesus, I am the Alpha and the Omega. There is nobody else before Jesus, and there's nobody else after Jesus. You may think of yourself as a big shot. Maybe you do some wonderful things, and we all do at times, but I got news for you. It's not nearly as big as what God has done and is going to do. God is in control. Whether you believe in him or not is irrelevant. He's still in control. If you choose not to believe in the name above all names, Jesus, 
That doesn't make it any less true. And I'm here to tell you today, it is true. This is the truth. The truth is Jesus is the Son of God. That there was nothing before Him and there's nothing after Him. Jesus is God. God loves you. He loves you so much He sent His one and only begotten Son so that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Do you believe that? And there's nothing you can do to earn that. It's a gift from God. We hear it and we hear it and we breathe it and we read it, but do you really understand what God has done? Sometimes I, I think I do. But it's my mission to tell you the truth of God's Word. I would not waste my time being up here telling you something that was a story that I thought was not true. I don't come to church as a social gathering. This is not a club. This is where it gets serious. And we want to have fun and we want to make light of some things, but certainly not of God himself. And in the Revelation, John makes it very clear to us who we're talking about. The creator of all things seen and unseen. There is a God and he does exist. I can't even imagine that after 10,000 years, we will still be singing. The sun will still be shining and it will be as if it never even begun because we're talking eternity. What is 10,000 years to a million years? What is 10,000 years to a billion years? What is 10,000 years to a trillion years? Quadrillion. Numbers so big we can't conceive of them because God is beyond all time understanding and reasoning. That's why he came to earth was so that you and I could understand who he is and have an understanding of he is love by the definition of who he is. He is love. And in him there is no sin. He loved us so much that he became sin for us and took upon the sins of the world. Past, present, and future. I am the Alpha and the Omega. And listen to this, says the Lord God, who is who was and who is to come. So he was, he is, God is not dead. God is still alive. Jesus is at the right hand of God right now waiting to come again. This, my loved ones, I'm certain of. I'm more certain of that fact than I am of anything else in my life. I put my life on that fact. And we should change our attitudes, our direction in life, based on that fact. Your success is not defined by what you achieve in life, but rather by who you choose to follow. True success only starts with the Lord. When I say success, I mean contentment. Peace doesn't mean you're not going to be ill. It doesn't mean you're not going to be sick. It doesn't mean you're not going to have problems. But it means like in the course of a week, as I was discussing with the member this morning, I feel like I'm rushed all the time. Rush, 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 rush. And it hit me Thursday or Friday. I'm done rushing. I'm done. I, why? That puts a lot of anxiousness on us, a lot of stress on us. We're just rushing from one thing to the next. 
Just relax, folks. God has got it. Get up and serve God. Go to bed and serve God. Get up in the morning and pray and ask Him for help. And at night, thank Him for all the help He gave you. Recognize God in all that you do. Before you say those silly words, would God say them? And get in that lifestyle. If you're doing something that's harming your body, give it up. Stop. It's the Lord's temple. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Don't judge others lest you be judged also. Doesn't mean we don't judge the sin, but it means we love others as we love ourselves, as we love our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. All of us are equal in that regard. None of us are above reproach. None of us are without sin. God says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. He who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. And as he goes on, John tells us the vision of the Son of Man, and he says in verse 9, I John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, who was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. And then he lists the seven churches. So he's on this island, he has this vision, he hears this, he hears this voice. He's having an encounter with the most holy of holies. Now John is elderly by this time. He's older. He's been removed. He's castigated to this island because of his persecution. He's persecuted because of his belief. This is not a game, folks. He's, he's hearing from God. Jesus himself says, this is my revelation to you. Write it down, John. This is Jesus talking. That's why revelation is so important. Yes, we, we highlight in our, in, our, in our Bibles, in all the New Testament, the words of God in red a lot of times, right? I got news for you. The whole thing is the word of God. Everything spoken is from God, but specifically in the Revelation, these are the, the words from the messenger from Jesus Christ himself. This is Jesus' revelation to John and to us and to the rest of the world for what has, what is, and what will come. And we'll get into that over the next several weeks. It's great stuff. It's awesome stuff. There should be hope, no fear in reading the Revelation. So he says, write what you see in a book and send it to these seven churches. And he, he mentions those churches and starting in chapter 2, we'll start going to those churches. We'll look at Ephesus first. And then Smyrna. And then Pergamum. And on and on. And listen to verse 12. John, this is John speaking. He says, then I turned, listen, to see the voice that was speaking to me. So he heard it. He says, I turned, he literally turned around. He said, I wanted to see this voice speaking to me. You ever been in a crowd or in a situation, you heard somebody's voice, and you hear lots of voices, but you'll hear a voice stand out, particularly if they say your name. It's funny how we can be in a crowded grocery store, and you can hear your name, and you can immediately tell it's you, it's a parent, it's a kid, we just, we know, right? In this situation, this this. This voice was so outstanding to him. He said, I had to turn and I had to look to see who or what it was that was speaking to me. You ever heard people with a radio voice? And as soon as you meet them, you go, wow, that is a radio voice. They've got such a unique voice. I can almost imagine in this situation, John is just so in awe of not just hearing. He just turns and says, okay, where is this gloriousness coming from? 
What is it I'm about to see? He says that he turned to see the voice that was speaking. I'm in verse 12. And on turning, listen, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, the one like the Son of Man. So imagine these lampstands, these lamps. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And Jesus was standing in the midst of them. These seven lampstands, they represent the churches that he's about to speak to. And we'll, we'll unpack all of that in the next few weeks. But very quickly, yes, seven characteristics that are common to all churches. Let's just, I'm just going to give you kind of some insight. Seven characteristics of churches that we see today and in individuals as well. So he surrounds you. Jesus stands in the midst. What does this signify? His sovereignty. Nothing is beyond him. He is in control. And then in his hand, you'll see in his right hand are seven stars, which represent the seven messengers or the seven angels, some of your translations may say. So not as only Jesus control and is in the midst of the situation, he's in control of the church, but he's in control of every message that comes out of that church. And as we will see, super congregation type churches aren't necessarily how God sees a successful church. We define success by the world standards and what we see and by those targets and those goals and things. But you're, I'm going to, you're going to find out in the Revelation, God doesn't see things that way. You can have what may be perceived as a struggling church, but that church may be very glorious in the eyes of God and the ones in heaven because of the truth that's coming out of the pulpit. The truth that is being conveyed in the daily walks of the people who live and walk and talk in that congregation. Though it may be small, it is mighty. And we'll see one of those churches that are like that. So don't judge how successful your church is by the number of people that are in it. You can have a huge church that have no Christians in it. Absolutely. You can have a church that claims to be Christian and have very few Christians in it. But it looks Christian. It says Christian on the name. Careful. It's not the color of the skin. It's the content of the character. It's not the name on the outside of the church. It's what's on the inside. What's being said. Where's the truth? And my goal, loved ones, is to always give you the truth. I'm going to try to persuade you one way or the other. God is real, and so is Jesus. Jesus is God. We believe in the Holy Trinity. God, Father. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God. That stands in the midst of the churches. All the churches. He stands in the midst of the churches. The lamp stands. Oh, I pity the church is not in that ring of churches. Because where are they? Jesus isn't standing in the midst of them. It's a bad place to be. You see, lamps are lit. 
They represent light. And when you're in that, you can see. Things are lit. It's clear who the center of attention is, and it's Jesus. He's in the midst of all the churches. He carries the message, signified by the stars in his right hand. Folks, there are a lot of churches today that aren't being given the, the time of day by God. They do not stand in the midst of where Jesus is at. We face right now an unprecedented period of time in the United States of America and worldwide with this new critical theory movement, this new movement for the woke society, and it is going to become its own religion, just like some of the other religions, Mormonism, Scientology. Jehovah's Witness. All with, on the surface, good intentions. But in the middle, not doctrinally sound and not in accordance with God's word. Without getting into the details, I can tell you that the Southern Baptist Convention has, by default, approved the theory of critical race theory to be taught in universities. As your pastor, I'm going to tell you that's a, that's a problem. We'll talk about that another time. It was a mistake that was made, and I hope that they repent of that and go back, but it is a problem. Okay. I'm not being racist when I say that. I'm just saying that that whole Theory, if you look into it, goes back and has very deep evil roots. It has nothing to do with skin color. It has nothing to do with anything else except a, a motive, a motivation to turn us from God. So be careful. Don't love others and forget that Jesus is the source of love. Love is not enough. You have to have Jesus. 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 That's why he says... As he turned, he saw the seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, the one like the Son of Man, meaning Jesus, listen to this, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like the white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. Notice that all those, say, was like this, was like that, was like this. He was so indescribably beautiful and what he saw that he says it was like this but not that it was like this but not that so be careful when you have imagery and you say well this is what Jesus looks like no he was saying this is what it was like this is the only words he could come up with he was putting it down now on paper for you and me he said it was like this I can imagine how he struggled with that the awesomeness of being in the presence of our maker. And he says in verse 16, and in his right hand he held seven stars and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. There it is again. Like the two-edged sword is the word of God that cuts to the very soul and saves every soul who chooses to put their faith and trust in Jesus. It's a two-edged sword. It's a double-edged sword. 
And we forget that sometimes we, we walk around in life and we hear in churches all the time how it's a, it's a butter knife. God loves you. He's going to fill you full of jelly and he's going to butter both sides of the bread. And you better know where, you, where your bread is buttered on which side, right? And we forget that it's a sword. I'm sorry. That scares me. That's why I'm up here. Why? Oh, if, if it wasn't a sword, I wouldn't need to preach and warn you that there is consequences for our decisions. We must repent and turn to Jesus. We must repent and turn to Jesus. For those of you listening and haven't got it, you must repent and turn to Jesus. It is a two-edged sword, and it cuts to the chase. Without God, none of us live. None of us. God loves you so much he doesn't desire that for anybody to be separated from him for all eternity. But it can be yours right now. All you got to do is say, I repent and I put my faith in Jesus. I don't understand it, Pastor. I don't understand it, Mom. I don't understand it, Dad. Grandma, Grandpa, I don't understand it. But that man up there said, repent. And I felt it and I did. And now I'm saved. Do you have that story? It's that simple. It's not magic. Yeah, I'm loud for a reason. You need to hear the words. I cannot, in my good conscience, go to heaven and answer for why didn't you let them know the truth? I wish you could feel the passion and the love that I have for the lost souls that are out there and for you. So that you know and you have assurance of your salvation that God is, is in the midst of the seven lampstands. God controls the message. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. There is nobody else. Nobody. And when we have a relationship with Him, you're protected for life, for all eternity. Why would you not put your faith and trust in Him? Why? All you have to do is look around the world and you see how fallen it is and how decrepit it is and how hard it is. Whether you're a child or an older person, you know how difficult can life can be. But there is one who loves you regardless all the time. Through the midst of all your tragedy, through all your pain, through all your sadness, God loves you. You may not have had a great life growing up, but God loves you. God will use you. God believes in you. God is cheering you on. And there are times in our lives as a Christian, as I walk, I don't feel like a Christian. I don't feel like God loves me. I wonder where he's at. And then all of a sudden, he shows himself to me. I had a situation just this week in my personal life. Rush, 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 rush. I can't possibly take on another test. I can't possibly do this. That morning at 6.30, opened up my email. Three days this week, I was at work before 5 a.m. That day, I hope I can't do this anymore. I'm tired. And not just work. This email, I missed it. I had missed this email. I couldn't even believe it when I saw it. Only one way I was going to get the stuff done I needed to get done, that was to open up my calendar on Friday, and that's exactly what that email was. Never happens. Immediately, God, 
You're in control. You know what I can and can't handle. You will bring me through it. Look for the signs. There are no coincidences in life. God is in control of everything. He's in the midst of us. He's lighting up your life. If you're walking in the dark, it's because you're not walking with Jesus. He offers you the opportunity to walk in light with him for all eternity. And listen to verse 17. When I saw him, this is John. John turns, he sees this, he gives us a description. He says, I fell at my feet. Or I fell at his feet as though dead. He was so overcome by the appearance of Jesus, the Son of Man, the one like God, and what he saw as he tries to describe it to us. He literally fell at Jesus' feet as though he were dead. What does Jesus do? You see, no matter how bad it gets for us, even when we, in utter repentance and sheer humility and, and humbleness and meekness, we just bow to the Lord. Lord, have you ever been there? You ever been beside your bed on your knees so long your knees are sore? On your elbows you got calluses? You've reached up to the Lord and say, where are you at? What's going on? And God will reach down, put his hand on you and say, don't be afraid. He says, fear not. Loved ones, fear not. God loves you through the tribulation. Whatever it is you're dealing with, fear not. You so many times throughout Scripture, Jesus shows up in the room, the most of the disciples, and he says, fear not! How about you? That freaked me out a little bit if I'm having supper and somebody just happens to walk through the door and I didn't use the door to open. Fear not! Jesus understands we're humans and he, and he knows our weaknesses. Fear not. He says, the very first thing, he says, I am the first and the last. Listen to those words. First and the last. There is nobody before Jesus. That's what first means. And there's nobody after Jesus. That's what last means. He, he encompasses all of humanity. All of creation, all of the stars in the sky and the planets and the universe, he encompasses all of them. He's the first and the last. And if he's first and he's last and I'm in there, I'm good to go. That's because I will never have to be the first and I will never have to be the last. I'll always be somewhere in between. And I'm fine with that. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. You? Wherever God takes me, I know I'm good to go because he's got me here and he's got me here and I'm living in the midst of it. And it's not always fun. We know life is hard. Oh, life is hard, but God is good. Remember that. Life is hard, but God is good. He says, fear not, I am the first and I am the last. And listen, verse 18, and the living one. For those of you who are having doubts right now, listen, Jesus is alive right now. He says, I am not just here. I'm living. God is not dead. I'm the living one. The first and the last, Alpha, the Omega, and I'm not dead. I'm living. I'm right here. I'm speaking to John. I'm speaking to you, Scott. I'm speaking to you, congregation. I'm not dead. 
This is my revelation to you all. I'm alive. Jesus is telling us in the revelation, this is where the rubber hits the road. I'm alive. I'm here. Please listen to my servants. Listen to my churches. He says, I died. I love it. He says, I'm living. I'm the living one. I died. You got that right. I did die. It wasn't just a spiritual death. It was a physical, complete death. I did die, but I'm living. He says, I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Forever. No one is killing God. No one kills Jesus. When Jesus gave his life on the cross, even Pontius Pilate thought, already he's dead? I thought he was the giver of life in the take. I thought he was the first and the last. He is. He gave up his life freely. He chose when to die. He controls fate. He controls his own fate. And he says, it is finished. No one killed Jesus. Jesus allowed it to happen on his time frame. The perfect time for the perfect person. For the perfect salvation. And I am alive forevermore as I finish up and I have the keys of death and Hades. He has conquered death. He has conquered hell. He has conquered the evil one. He holds the keys. He's the key bearer. Nobody can take those keys from him. Nobody can take your salvation from you. Nobody, nobody, nobody. Jesus gives it as a gift that it cannot be taken. It's a gift from God, not from your friends, not from your church, not from your family, not from anybody. It's from God. How do I get it? Repent, receive. Repent, receive. Repent, receive Jesus. It's that simple. It's that simple. But there's got to be more. No, it's repent and believe. You're saved. You're born again. You're a Christian. Now you can call yourself a Christian, one who walks with Christ, a believer. Verse 19 is, says, Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. And we'll get into that the next few weeks. So he's talking about those that have taken place, those that are taking place, and those that will take place. And that's where it gets really interesting and where we have to be very Careful with our words and our research and what's being said. So we're not making up a story, but you're hearing what God said. Jesus is my revelation. Don't change the words. Don't change anything in this. I, I'm not going to do that. So that's why the last two sermons have been so important to build this base, okay? We're going to look at all this stuff, but not just what has happened, what is happening, but will what will happen. Verse 20, as we wrap up, as for the, mis mis uh, for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Just so you know, I didn't make that up. The answer is given to us in Scripture. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you that you are indeed the beginning and the end, and everything in between, that you are the Alpha, the Omega, the Almighty, the Son of God, 
Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift of salvation. Lord, I thank you that your mighty angels carry your word, that you're surrounding yourself with our churches. Lord, may this church be in your midst. I pray for Pleasant Hill Baptist Church, Lord. I pray for revival. I pray for salvation, Lord. I pray that you heal us. Lord, heal us as a nation. Heal us as a local congregation, Lord. And you bring to us the lost so that you might grant them the gift of salvation. It's in Jesus' name I pray and the congregation says, Amen. The missing tooth. Turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation. We're still in chapter 2. But we're progressing along and learning about each of the different churches that Jesus revealed a message to. And this is the fourth church out of seven. This one here is probably, or not probably, it is the longest of the letters that we have here in Revelation. So let me read it for you, and then we'll begin uh, breaking it down just a bit this morning. Starting in Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. You may follow me if you like. And to the church, excuse me, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira, Write the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and your latter works succeed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw onto, into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am the, he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold uh, to this teaching, who have not lean, uh, learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end to him, I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. Right there at the end, we hear about earthen pots and broken pieces. It's actually pronounced Thyatira. You might have pronounced it other ways, but that's the proper pronunciation. Thyatira. I think I said Tira. It's Tyra. Thyatira. I used to say Thyatira, but it's Thyatira. So that's the church we're speaking of. This is actually in a town, as we go in our circular pattern, we're up now towards the top, towards the western half. This is a little bitty town. It's kind of a crossroads, if you will. It's not a path that's used for trade. It is not. Rather, it is near the capital, which was what, Pergamum? It's near the capital. And it serves as an outpost for soldiers. 
serves as an outpost for soldiers. So it protects the travel routes. It protects some of the bigger cities like Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum. And there's fewer people there than what you might otherwise think. So it's not a, it's not a, it's the least important of the churches. That's what I'm trying to say. It's the least important, but it is important in the sense that it did something or has done something that Jesus recognized and says, I want to write a letter to you. In this town of Thyatira, they made pots, pottery. There was lots of clay, lots of riverbeds there. And you know, when they made pottery, they didn't have second sale barns anywhere. They didn't have outlet malls and things. So if something was a little bit off, something wasn't made quite right or had a flaw in it, as an example, my wife and I got some secondary bags this week, and the bags didn't have the little zippers on them. Well, we got them for dirt cheap, right? They didn't have that opportunity back in the day, so they had a the potter actually had a servant that had a carried a, a, an iron rod, and he would smash them, smash the clay pots, all that were defective, the ones that they wanted to completely eliminate, didn't have anything to do with. They weren't good enough to be out and about to be sold, so they smashed them with an iron rod. So when Jesus talks about the iron rod, that's what he's talking about here. Getting rid of that which is not perfect. That which is not tolerable to be used. It's interesting, too, that when we see this, this is some very, very strong language, the strongest language we see in the letters. And this is kind of a nasty little letter. There's some tough, tough topics here. And I'm not going to break them all down for you because I want you to have the understanding of what does, what's the overall intent of this message to this church. When I say this church, I mean the church in Thyatira. Notice that uh, the very first verse, and to the angel in the church, he says, the words of the Son of God, talking about Jesus. We just sang a song about Jesus, Jesus. And we learned in the last week when we talked about the church at Pergamum that uh, it was very important that they proclaim the name of Jesus, not just Son of God, not just God, not just the Lord, not just Savior, but Jesus. It's very important to use the name Jesus. So here he addresses this church. This church knows who Jesus is, okay, quite honestly. This church knows who Jesus is. They got it going on. He says, I am the Son of God. He addresses every church a little bit differently. But this one he says, listen, who has eyes like a flame, yours may say flame of fire or anger, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. You see, there's another place in Revelation where it talks about how the, at the end times people would rather die or search for places to hide than to see the eyes of God and the flame in his eyes. This is... Interesting, because then we look at not only the flame in his eyes, the anger. Jesus can get angry. There's at least four or five times in the New Testament we see he's angry. He gets angry at his disciples when uh, they say to the crowd, uh, Jesus doesn't have time for the kids. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Bring me the kids. No, and he was mad about that. He was mad when he was at the money changers table in the temple and that the only place for the Gentiles to pray was being used for trade and for uh, slimy things and he grabs a whip and he literally starts uh, whipping the money changers. 
Jesus has righteous anger. Jesus gets angry. Jesus is angry at this church. Well, I don't want to see Jesus angry. Flames, eyes of flames. And we see this picture of Jesus. This isn't the picture of Jesus in an overcoat and a robe with sandals on and everything's happy and he's carrying a lamb. That's not the picture we see here. This is, the, this is the Jesus that nobody wants to talk about. He's in a battle. And how do we know that? Because he's got iron bronze boots on. His feet have been stationed in a place so that he tramples over his enemies here. So not only does he have eyes that judge, eyes that get angry, eyes that see all he has. He's ready for battle as we see that his feet are burnished bronze, heavy weighted Military type shoes. Get ready. Here's the message she's getting ready to say to the church. I don't know about you, but I'd be a little nervous. This is a tough, tough message because the, the, the core of it is so, so important, but so, so sensitive today. We are to be in the world as a church. But the world is not to be in us. That's what this message is. If you think of your life, the Christian life is a boat. Okay, The boat has to be in the sea to be effective. But as soon as the sea gets in the boat, it sinks. Follow me? The church is to be in the world, but the world is not to be in the church. The world does not have an influence in the church. Rather, the church influences the world and, and, and congregation, my friends, loved ones. That's the opposite of what we're seeing today. The world is influencing what the church is saying so that we can increase numbers to maintain our budget and do whatever we need to do. Jesus said, I don't care about budgets. I don't care about the world. He says, if you're friends with the world... You're an enemy of mine. If you're a friend of mine, you're an enemy of the world. You can't have it both. He, he says, I can't. He says, lukewarm, I just spit you out of my mouth. You ever drank lukewarm water? It's horrible. I had experience with that this week. Hey, Mr. Ketchum, from the guy watching the Bears game, he pulled my tooth with literally a wrench. Don't drink anything too hot and don't drink anything too cold. Oh, and, and, and you want to gargle and rinse with salt water. Well, wow, that's an awesome combination. Really looking forward to the next couple of days. And how long will that be, Mr. Doctor Friend? 48 hours, really? Yeah, okay. That's Satan. Phone ringing, you hear that? That's the community trying to get into the church. I'm just kidding. Community trying to get into the church. But the, the community, the world tries to get into the church. They've done an awfully good job of getting into the church today. So Jesus, to this church, and Thyatira, says, i got a serious message for you. He's got a serious problem. But first, he compliments them. Because they got some good stuff going on. Listen to verse 19. He says, I know your works. He says, I know your works. Your love and faith and service and your patient endurance. This church is just the opposite of a couple of the other churches in that they lost their first love. Ephesus, remember the church, the first church we talked about, they, he says, you need to remember your first love. These, these folks don't have that problem. They're devout Christians. They, they know who Jesus is. They follow him. And Jesus, another interesting note here as we look at 
revelation and, and the, the authority of Jesus himself. He says, I know your works. Folks, listen, we're not saved by works. We're saved by faith in, in, our son, uh, in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, okay? But faith without works is dead. The, the, the implication here, if you look in the Greek and you look in the Hebrew, the word faith, okay, actually means faith and faithfulness. Greek and Hebrew, faith means two different words, faith and faithfulness. He says, I know your works, and he says, and your faith. Think of it this way. I know your works and your faithfulness. You see, when we have faith in somebody, we're faithful to them. It's a journey. When we stop having faith in somebody, then we never really had faith in them. Does that make sense, congregation? So people say, I'm a Christian, I've been born again, but then years down the road, they, you know, you can't lose your salvation, right? We agree on that, but if you truly have your salvation, if you truly love Jesus, then you're not just having faith in Jesus, but you're faithful to Jesus. You're doing things that are faithful to him. So let me tell you something, Jesus knows your works. So for all Christians, when we die, we will not be judged for our faith, we'll be judged for our works. You're still going to heaven, but he's going to look at your works. What did you do in the body? Because Jesus says, I know your works. I know all the good things you've done. And here's the hard part. I know all the, all the ugly stuff, too. I know all the ugly stuff, too. And Jesus goes on to say, listen, you guys got it going on. He says, your love. I know, I know you've got love. you got it going on. You, you love people. You love Jesus. You love me. You got it. You got it. You know. Good stuff, he says, love. Your faith is an active faith. You put your faith in me and you show that faith routinely. And lastly, he says, your service. Service is the implication of doing something practical for somebody. You know, we call a worship a worship service. It's not really a service. It's a worship uh, time. But service in the Hebrew and, and the Greek means Doing something practical for somebody. Paying a bill, washing a car, patting the back, visiting, praying. Doing something practical for the person. This church had it going on. They were doing and taking care of in love and in faith of each other. And of the community around them. Now this is not a big, a big community. This is just a little pottery town. They also were known for having the purple dyes in that region and there were some other interactions there. We won't go there. But there were a lot of soldiers here. Kind of a, a T-bone in the, kind of like I think of Effingham, Illinois. Effingham is not someplace everybody goes, but everybody comes in Illinois pretty much has to pass through it. That's kind of the way this place was. And, la and, uh, and secondly to the last, it's not only their uh, love and their faith and their service, but their endurance. So they've gone, they had gone through some stuff. This church was... Very, very close to Pergamum, which is where Satan literally resided. Remember, at the top of a propolis in Zeus's house with the fire burning, shaped like a love seat. And every morning they get up and see the top of the hill, the fire burning, the smoke for hundreds of years. So these folks had it pretty similar to Pergamum. Might have even been able to see the smoke. But they weren't nearly as important as the other place. But this church had a lot of problems. 
So I know your patient endurance. I know you've gone through some stuff. I know you love Jesus. I know you got all this, but he says, but hang on. You got a woman in your church that's a problem. Ooh, that's a tough one. Her name is Jezebel. Actually, she's not named Jezebel. She is a Jezebel. Jezebel is seen if you go to uh, 1 Kings 16 through about 22. You see, Jezebel back in the day when King Ahab was the king of Israel, King Ahab decided he would marry outside the Jewish tradition and married somebody who was a Gentile, married somebody outside, brought her in, and when she came to be married to King Ahab, by the way, in, in, in the original language, Jezebel's name, okay, in her original language meant primrose, which is beautiful. Primrose in Hebrew means, hang on, garbage. Can you imagine when King Ahab got married to Queen Garbage? The jokes that went back and forth, the memes that we could come up with now on social media, right? That's the reality of it. She brought with her, catch this, 850 other prophets and men and women who served another God. This went on for 20 plus years. It's important that we know the Old Testament. It's important that we have this history as we go through Revelation so you understand that this is all connected, folks. The reason Jesus is so mad here is because of what took place with King Ahab in Israel the kind of influence this woman had who was not a godly person. This is also where we get to meet up with Elijah. And Elijah, all the things he went through, okay? Healing the child from the dead that was sick and laying his body over the child. Stood up to King Ahab. But when the queen, garbage, Jezebel, threatened him, you know what he did? He ran. This woman scared him. A man of God who had already given himself to the Lord, who had done wonderful things in the name of the Lord, even he was heavily influenced by this Jezebel. So when Jesus is talking about the Jezebel here at Thyatira, this is a serious problem. And it's a serious problem today. It's not so much the sex of the person as it is the nature of the person. The woman that we see in Revelation was a self-proclaimed prophetess. That she had some type of revelation that was went beyond the Bible. I was in a men's study group years ago and I remember being that guy that would say, you guys are reading too much into this. And the group would be like, well, no, you know, this could mean this. It could, no, pretty much the Bible says what it says. I was that dummy. But I kind of thought of that when I was studying this this week going, hey, it's okay to look deeper into God's word. But when you start extracting things that aren't there, now you become an instrument of Satan. That's exactly what she was doing. These people were very devout and specifically, here it comes. I'm glad there's no children here. Very specifically, the sin was this, a sexual sin. She was stating to the believers, the Christian men, 
And we don't know if she was married to a deacon in the church or an elder or a well-known person. We don't know that. We know that she had some terrible influence. And Jesus looks at this at first Kings and goes, hey, no way. Not in my church. You may have any old church. Not, no. Not here. She was telling them, hang on. It's okay to have sex amongst yourselves, even if you're married and outside of marriage, because it is a spiritual experience. Some of the men in the church had indeed done that. She was given the opportunity to repent, and we know from reading Revelation, she did not. The men who had been with her were also given the opportunity to repent, and some did. Some did not. Those who didn't, guess what? Iron rod, clay pot, smash it, step on it, out of my church. Cannot have that kind of heresy in the church. And again, it's not so much that particular sin as it is the sin of sensuality. It is the sin that for some reason saints can get away with. She was telling them, you're a Christian, once saved, always saved. She probably was Baptist. I'm kidding when I say that, but you know what I'm saying. Once saved, always saved. She was preaching not only you saved, but you're a saint, and God has covered your sin, and in his, all his grace, to show how, grace God, how much grace God has, go ahead and sleep around. You can do that as a saint. Other, Christian, other people can't do that. That's what she was telling them. Well, this is not a popular sermon, I can tell you that. But that's what's in the Bible. It's, I mean, don't, don't shoot the messenger. This is what's in the Bible. I'm telling, and I'm, believe me, I'm toning it down a little bit. Do you remember the story where Elijah went, goes to King Ahab? And again, you can go to 1 Kings. I think it's about 18 or 19. Starts in 16, but up about 18 or 19. We see Elijah goes to the 800, you can add up it, 850 of these uh, prophets. And he says to King Ahab, listen, we're going to have an altar here. We're going to start a fire, but you're not going to start it. My God is going to start it. And he says, we'll try your gods. We'll see which one of your gods starts. And if your God starts it, then I'll accept that you have your God's legitimate. Okay. We call those the Baal gods. B-A-A-L. Baal or Baal. I just say Baal. The Baal gods were Hundreds of them. Of course, you know the story, it wouldn't start. And Elijah literally makes fun of their gods. Even goes so far to say, well, maybe he's busy going to the bathroom. This infuriated Jezebel. Infuriated her when she found out from King Ahab what had happened. That's when she threatened. That's when she threatened Elijah with death. Don't you mess with my gods. Anyway, the end of the story was God lit the fire. And they all were like, oh, you, your God is real. Your God is real. Despite that proof amongst all those prophets and prophetesses, despite what King Ahab saw, he continued on his journey of sin because of the influence of his wife. That's what Jezebel means. I know a couple, I actually read about this. They were trying to name their child, their daughter, after somebody in the Bible. So they randomly went to the Bible and said, oh, let's name her Jezebel. No, 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 no. Not a good idea. It's a good idea to study your Bible first before you name them something. You know, like Deborah would be a good one, right? Okay. Anna would be a good one. Actually, Anna was a prophetess. In the beginning of Luke, we see Jesus is revealed. 
like Anna. So being a prophet or prophetess is not, is not, is not relinquished to one sex or the other. In this case, though, Jesus is referring to horrible atrocities. Many of the prophets that were for Israel were killed during that time. No, Jesus says, no, I'm not going to have this in my new church. I'm not going to have that kind of influence. So, so men, uh, you can speak to this, men. We can be easily influenced by women, can't we? Yes. Most times when we hear about affairs and other extramarital things, it's usually the man's fault or they were enticed. But we never talk about the enticer, the woman, right? Women, equally so in today's world, there are a lot of men who sway your opinion. I don't know what it is about the opposite sex, but we do that. So the, again, the thing here is not about a man versus a woman or a woman versus a man. This is about the fact that when we idolize somebody else other than God, we can get into trouble. This town of Thyatira was also a trading town. There was a trade post there, just like in the other towns we talked about. And in order to be an active member to trade your dyes or to trade your pots, you had to be a member of the trade guild. But before they would have their meetings, they would engage in all kinds of sacrificial worship to idols. Afterwards, they would have sacrificial sexual immorality. So if you're this church, where do you fall? This woman here, Jezebel, probably wanted all the attention of the church and looked like a good, healthy church-going lady, but also wanted all the attention of the outside world and brought that in with her and began to justify the behaviors to make sure that the church can now be a part of the world and let, began to let the world into the church. And Jesus says, do not let the world get into my church. That's what the message is today. Revelation's a tough one, folks. There's, there's a lot of messages here, but you need, we need to hear these. So uh, verse 21, just so you know that I'm not making this up. Jesus says, I gave her time to repent. Jesus loves, loved her too. At some point in time, she went off the deep end. I, I, love, I, I love her. I gave her the opportunity, but she chose not to. You see, faith is an active Verb. We're to be faithful, not just to have faith. You see, when Jesus addresses issues, he never has issues with what people say other than I either deny Jesus or accept Jesus. That's real important. But he always deals with their actions. Prove to me that you are who you say you are and that you do love me. So, you know, I'm going to give you an opportunity. I know you love me at one time. Do you, do you love me? Do you have, are you going to continue in the faith? Not that she lost her salvation, but she never had it. He gave her opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And he says, and this is how serious he is. He says, I'm going to make her sick. Anybody who sleeps with her is going to get sick. Anybody who has kids with her, they're going to die. It's pretty serious stuff, isn't it? Hard to, hard to water that down in the pulpit. That's what it says. Why? Because Jesus is not just our Savior, but he is our judge. Jesus is powerful, folks. He has the power to forgive, and he has power over the second death. It's not the first death we're to fear, it's the second death, of which he has the keys to Hades. He makes the decision. So if you're waiting to die to determine if Jesus is real, it's too late by then. It's about a faith walk now. Are you faithful? 
It's not enough just to say I have faith in Jesus, but are you actively pursuing that faith? What's the last time you actually served somebody? Or are you satisfied that I've given my time, I'm going to heaven? Listen, there will be a time when we stand in front of Jesus, Almighty God, and he looks at me and says, you know what? Thank you for putting your faith and trust in me, but you could have done a little better here, Scott. Do you remember when? And you didn't. But you know what? You did this, and that was awesome. Thank you. It is very important that we, we understand, and you understand that once you're saved, that doesn't mean the game stops, okay? And it doesn't mean you lose your salvation. No, what it means is, if the book of James tries to tell us, faith without works is dead. We have to, and it talks about working out your salvation. It's not talking about works for salvation. It's saying if you're really saved, if you really are a faith-filled Christian, you, you will be a faithful Christian. You will fulfill, your, your faith is full. Your faith is full. And how do you do that? You live it. I have to ask myself that sometimes. Some days I don't look very faithful. Some days I don't feel very faithful. But I never give up my faith. But then God says, it's okay. Try tomorrow. Try tomorrow. Try today. And keep trying. And keep trying. God loves that. He'll look at you someday and say, you know what? I know you were frustrated, Scott. But you kept trying. You never gave up hope. You tried. I know you messed up here, but you know what? You made it right over here. Because folks, we're going to make mistakes, okay? But don't make the fatal mistake with the iron rod and be squashed like the pot and never get to enter eternity with the Holy One. Jesus loves you. He loves you so much, he says, I'm going to give you an opportunity to repent right now. He even told that to Jezebel. As bad as she was. I guarantee you're not as bad as her. If you're not as bad as her, then you do have hope, right? God loves you, so do I. Let's pray this morning, okay? Heavenly Father, thank you for your, your word. Lord, thank you for a tough, tough message uh, that uh, sexual morality uh, and, and tied to uh, allowing the world to come into your church is not a place for us, and you absolutely put your feet down. You take a, you take a stand and you judge and you look at us with those fiery eyes that when we, when we see somebody who we know we've crossed, we, we know it. We can look in their eyes and see it. And Lord, I don't, want to, I don't want to ever see those eyes. I don't want to see those eyes. I want to see your beautiful eyes of love. Lord, but the harsh reality of it is that uh, uh, you're judge, jury, and, and, and deliver as well, Lord God. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for this congregation. Thank you for those uh, who couldn't be with us today. It's in Jesus' name I pray and the congregation says.